back to another episode of the Hedging Screens podcast. And I know I begin every episode by asking how you folks are doing out there, how your days have been, how life has been recently. But today, although I am curious as to how you guys are feeling, I just want to congratulate the Los Angeles Lakers for being crowned NBA champions this past Saturday. I'm not sure if you guys know, but on Saturday, the Los Angeles Lakers managed to take down the Brooklyn Nets and bring home their second consecutive NBA title without LeBron James and without Anthony Davis. Now, this begs the question, do the Lakers really need LeBron and AD to win a title? And with that said, are the Brooklyn Nets in a position to maybe, I don't know, sign LeBron and Anthony Davis when the Lakers inevitably buy them out? Because I'm just looking at this roster and Taylor Horton Tucker, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Markeith Morris, Andre Drummond, Dennis Schroeder. I mean, Ben McLemore even popped off the other day. Who needs these guys? I mean, you know, the Lakers might as well get rid of Kyle Kuzma as well because he didn't play the other night. And dude, it was just so apparent that the Los Angeles Lakers are the most superior team in the NBA, better than the Utah Jazz, better than the Phoenix Suns, better than the Sixers. The only team they're not better than, interestingly enough, are the New York Knicks. And are we on a collision course for a Lakers-Knicks finals this June? I don't know, ladies and gentlemen. That very well could be the case. And as if my sarcasm has not bled through the speakers or the headphones yet, Saturday night was a very, very tough evening for me, um, really only because of the Brooklyn Nets game. I was hanging out with my lovely girlfriend. We went out and we got some food, some burgers, some burgers, burgers, if you will. And it was an all-around great evening. We tried this local burger spot. Pretty decent. Um, if you live on Long Island, Nassau County, Suffolk County, Queens County, wherever the fuck you live, if you're on the island and, you know, you find yourself in Nassau County, check out Burger City. It's over in, I believe it's considered East Meadow. And that shit, burger was okay. If you're from Long Island, you probably know that All-American has the best burgers on the island. This burger from Burger City was decent. I'm not going to say it was a bad burger because it certainly wasn't. But bro, the fucking sweet potato tots. Oh, bro, these hit way different than any other sweet potato I've ever had. These were, oh, and they were like crunchy and salty and sweet. And oh, dude, they were just so fucking amazing. If I would go back, I would probably just get like three things of tater tots and just call it a day because these were, these were amazing. So anyway, we get back from the spot. We get back to the crib. And, you know, put on the Nets game. I'm thinking, you know, it's going to be a nice game. I even tweeted, I foresaw the future because this happens every fucking time with the Brooklyn Nets. I foresaw the future. And I was like, no AD, no LeBron. Lakers are shorthanded. It's going to be a pretty easy win for the Lakers. And guess what, dude? It was a pretty fucking easy win for the Los Angeles Lakers. But... We have to see, kind of diagnose where it all went wrong. And I know exactly where where it went wrong. But what I'm going to do is I'm just going to, you know, enter storytelling mode. 
And we're going to discuss this game from the beginning. So, as everybody knows, there was no James Harden for this contest. And Kevin Durant was making his re-debut after missing a couple of, a couple of games, a couple of months. Oh, wait, hold on. No, this wasn't his... This wasn't his debut. I'm bugging. At least I think I, I think I'm bugging. It wasn't his debut. No, his debut was the day before or the game before against the Pelicans. This was his second game back. Just trying to figure out, you know, his role within the system. Trying to shake some of the rust off, which hard to believe because it's Kevin Durant, right? I mean, he came out in 19 minutes against the Pelicans last week. Had 17 points, 7 boards, 5 assists. Was cooking dudes. Didn't miss a single shot was getting to the free throw line. And although Kevin Durant was healthy for this game, with how conservative the Brooklyn Nets have been in handling his hamstring injury, like, again, this dude missed damn near eight weeks with a hamstring injury that, granted, we don't know how severe it was, but he still missed eight weeks with a little strain. Unless, unless it was more severe then the Brooklyn Nets wanted to lead on, which I totally understand. That's totally feasible. Still, they've been ultra-conservative with KD, especially knowing that he is coming off an Achilles injury. So although he was healthy, I don't know how many minutes Steve Nash wanted to allocate for him. He finished the game with about 24. Was that the cutoff? Was 25 the cutoff? Was he willing to go to 35 if the game called for it? I mean, spoiler alert, there was some time when the game was already decided and Steven Nash had KD out there, and I'm just like, bro, please, please just take this man out of the game before he gets hurt again. Please, just don't do this to us. Do not do this to yourself. At any rate, Brooklyn Nets, take, the, take on the, Les, the Los Angeles Lakers, the LeBron James list and the Anthony Davis list. Los Angeles Lakers. Now, if you've been a Nets fan for at least this year, even like the last couple of years, what happens when the Nets play an opponent that is worse than them? They routinely play down to the level of competition. I don't know why the fuck this is. This is for this reason. It is this. This is the reason. Let's try this again. This is the reason why I'm nervous about them going into the postseason in the first round, and potentially getting bounced. Because they're going to go up against a team that's worse than them. I'm not worried about them playing the Sixers or the Bucks. I'm worried about them playing the Bulls or the Hawks. Because for whatever reason, the Nets don't have a talent issue. They have an effort issue. And they just have a mental focus issue when going up against bad teams. I don't know why this is. I... I I, I don't know how to diagnose this problem. And I'm not sure the coaching staff knows how to diagnose this problem. Because, like clockwork, every time a team with a worse record than them takes the floor, they just look like shit. And this is even when Kyrie's healthy, when Kevin Durant is quote-unquote healthy, when James Harden is healthy. Again, I know he didn't play on Saturday, but the point still remains. So... Right from the jump, I knew that it was probably going to be a difficult showing. And, you know, the first quarter, things were not that bad. I believe the Lakers finished up 8 points, 33 to 25. You know, not decent. I mean, not good, but certainly not bad. It could have gotten much worse. And, you know, to the Nets' credit, the second quarter rolls around, and 
I don't know if they tied the game, but they entered halftime, and I think it was like a four-point game, a three, four-point game, right? They outscored the Lakers by five, by five points in the second quarter. Kyrie was playing well. KD was playing well. Granted, not the best. He did look a little off his shot, especially from the perimeter, wasn't there. He was a little careless with the ball, as were the Nets as a whole. But the third quarter rolls around, and this is where things got just super frustrating for us Nets fans, right? And I know, boo-hoo, feel so sorry, feel so bad for us because we got rooked despite having three fucking MVP candidates. Please, please, someone pass me a tissue because I am about to, I am about to break down in tears, in tears while talking about this part of the third quarter. I can already, I can already feel the sniffles coming off. So I don't know. I, I don't know what the fuck happened, man. All I know is Kyrie Irving and Dennis Schroeder having a little, you know, a little man-to-man conversation. Nothing crazy, but, you know, a couple of guys. It's a competitive game. I'm sure the Lakers were doing a little bit of trash talking, and I'm sure the Nets were trash talking right back because it's a sport, and that's what happens when you play sports. People get emotional. People's tempers flare up. And, you know, sometimes you have to take a step back and have a little dialogue with the person across from you. Now, as far as I saw, the conversation was relatively respectful. I mean, they were in each other's faces, but, you know, there were no punches thrown. Nobody was grabbing at each other's necks. It was a relatively civil conversation. Granted, a little heated, but that, can that again, happens during the course of competition. Now, I don't know what exactly was said between Kyrie Irving and Dennis Schroeder. I saw something that alluded to maybe Kyrie not being happy with Dennis Schroeder's use of the N-word throughout during the game or through the conversation. That, I am so far out of my wheelhouse in regards to that. Um, quite frankly, I don't feel the need to comment on the aspects of the conversation or potentially what was said because, again, no one started throwing fists. If this was like, you know, McGregor Poirier or Stipe Ngannou, where, you know, dudes just started scrapping at each other, I would understand why the refs took this route. But they wound up ejecting both Kyrie Irving and Dennis Schroeder in what was, I've, and everyone agrees with this, it was a soft-ass ejection by the officiating crew that evening. They teed up both of these dudes for really no reason, just to, like, I don't know, take control of the game. But the weird thing is, like, Usually, the referees will make an example out of, you know, a couple guys who are jarring at each other to take control of the game, but you really only do that if the game is consistently chippy and the teams just cannot break apart from each other. Like, think back a couple of years ago. We know chippy. We saw the Cavaliers and the Warriors go up against each other in the NBA Finals on the grandest stage, an intense series. Like, those kinds of games are the games where the officials need to keep control. If that means handing out a couple technicals in the first quarter, so be it. But that was not the case in this game. Kyrie Irving does not did not Sorry. deserve to be thrown out. Uh, as Siri so rudely interrupted me. I gotta put this on Do Not Disturb. This is definitely gonna fuck me up. Kyrie Irving did not deserve to be thrown out. Dennis Schroeder did not deserve to be thrown out. Now... I take umbrage with this, and 
a lot of Nets fans obviously are upset with this. And I can't speak for the national fandom because, you know, the Nets, they are, uh, I don't want to say they're the NBA's villains, but they're very easy to hate right now. And I totally get it. Again, I don't want you to feel bad for me because my team lost. It's fine. It's a game. It's okay. It just sucks when the officials feel the need to take control of the game in such a way. And I forgot who I was listening to or what I was watching. I think it might have been um, a UFC fight a couple months ago. And one of the commentators, I don't know I don't know who it was. I'm not too well-versed in, like, who does UFC commentary. I know Joe Rogan does it, but that's really, um, that's about it. I think Daniel Cormier does a little bit as well. But, again, I'm not really too well-versed in it. And I don't even know if, like, I was watching a UFC match or a UFC fight when I heard this. But someone said that. It's very difficult to describe a momentum shift, but you know one when you see one. And after Kyrie Irving and Dennis Schroeder got ejected, there was a clear momentum shift in favor of the Los Angeles Lakers. It was a four-point game at the time of the ejection, a four-point game, and the Nets were getting ready to kick it into high gear. And... You know, if Kyrie doesn't get ejected, I think they go on to win this game. I really do. Because there was this graphic that ESPN put up the other day. And I took a screenshot of it. And of course, I posted it to Twitter because I was mad. And you guys can drink my tears. I will fill a glass for you and mail it to you. I will handle all of the shipping shipping and handling. Totally fine. But ESPN or ABC, whoever the fuck was broadcasting the game, posts a graphic that says... The Los Angeles Lakers are outscoring the Nets 47-19 to 19 since the ejections. I'm just like, 47-19? to 19? And the thing was, I don't think the Nets were playing significantly worse after the ejections. I just think that losing Kyrie was kind of just like, okay, you know what? fuck it, this game is, it's kind of a wash at this point. You know, just go, take the L. I don't want to say they give up, they gave up, but I'm sure that everybody was very upset about the situation. I know Steve Nash just was kind of beside himself, like there was really no reason for it. And I say this because it was a clear momentum shift because the Lakers, or the Nets needed Kyrie Irving more than the Lakers needed Dennis Schroeder. You could look at the box score. Although Dennis Schroeder had 19 points at the time of his ejection, he was not the go-to guy for the Lakers. The Lakers were doing everything in their power to feed Andre Drummond, who, and this is another reason why the Nets lost, who was just absolutely feasting on the Nets' defense. And of course, you know, I will get into the end of, after, you know, we talk about the conclusion of the game, which I really didn't watch much of. To be quite honest, it was like halfway through the fourth quarter. I was like, all right, you know what? Maybe no, it was definitely before that. It was probably like 10 minutes, like two minutes into the fourth quarter. I'm like, bro, this is just fucking pointless. I would, the taste, uh, oh God, the ejection of Kyrie, not, and I don't even want to make this about Kyrie because it was unfair that Schroeder also got ejected. Like, I, I don't know, because if the Nets, let's say that Brooklyn had come back to win this game. We would probably be talking like, well, the, you know, the, sh- the ejection of Dennis Schroeder 
that really, you know, that really played a role in the Nets comeback because the Lakers lost their primary facilitator. Like, it's it's so easy to just pretend and speculate, right? Uh, maybe that'd be the case, actually, if I watched the game and, you know, I saw a clear momentum shift. But then again, you'd have to look at it like, well, is it really a momentum shift if, you know, a bunch of guys are, you know, finding their rhythm and taking control of the game? Like, I think that's what happened with the Lakers, except it wasn't, you know, the guys who you would expect. I mean, they also shot 56% from three. Dude, when the fuck is that ever going to happen again? I'm just saying that the Lakers played very well that night. They benefited from a suspect decision to eject two guys. They definitely benefited from that. I I don't care if that makes me sound bitter, if that makes me sound like a fucking snowflake or whatever. That's how I feel. That's my opinion. That's fine. I will give credit where credit is due. The Lakers, they came out and they played very well. They played with a lot of energy. They played like they wanted to win that game. And I will say it that the Nets did not. The Nets did not play like their season was on the line, which I think even if they know it's not this, them losing one game, the Lakers, when, you know, there's just so much controversy surrounding it, it's not the end of the world. Because I still don't believe that any team is beating the Brooklyn Nets at full strength. That's a big caveat here. At full strength in a best of seven series. Not even the Los Angeles Lakers. I, I, I just don't see it happening. If it does happen, congratulations to that team. But let's talk about more in-depth what the Lakers did well. So I already mentioned that they had a three-point clip of 56%. They shot 19 to 34. Ben McLemore fucking shot the lights out. KCP shot the lights out. Pretty much everybody shot the lights out. The person with the lowest percentage was Taylor Horton Tucker, who shot 40%. He made two of his five threes. He also played exceptionally well. Had 14 points, 11 assists, 3 steals, only 4 turnovers. Their outside shooting won them the game. That's for sure. The Brooklyn Nets 3-point defense was pretty much non-existent. And also, they were swinging the ball all over the fucking court, dude. 30 assists, only 14 turnovers. Los Angeles tricked the Nets into 19 turnovers, 8 of which came from Kevin Durant, which was um definitely... Ugh, some very poor decision-making and some uncharacteristically poor decision-making from Kevin Durant, who's, you know, just basketball IQ and his playmaking has really reached another level later in his career. Um, another thing is that the Nets really didn't have an answer for Andre Drummond, and I was a little concerning. I mean, I know we've been clamoring Actually, I don't even know who the fuck's been clamoring for DeAndre Jordan not to get minutes. It was just, he didn't play at all. And say what you will about DeAndre Jordan, but that dude is at least a big guy who can, you know, it, throw his body around against other big guys like Andre Drummond, you know, Joel Embiid at some point in the postseason. Hopefully not. Hopefully the Sixers get bounced in like the second round. So that way the Nets don't have to see them. But you know, when the playoffs roll around and Joel Embiid, who, you know, is <laughs> really, really getting back to his MVP form and his return from injury, a guy like DeAndre Jordan is going to be fucking 
huge. At least, if nothing else, to at least bother Embiid or somebody like Drummond. Now, what did the Nets do right? Um, well, the short answer, almost nothing. They had as many assists as they did turnovers, 19 to 19. Um, they got to the free throw line a lot, although nobody had more than five free throw attempts, which that's very strange. I didn't notice that until just now as I'm looking at it. They had 30, 30, 30 free throw attempts as a team. But Bruce Brown and KD each had five. Kyrie had four. Uh, Nick Claxton had four. And then anybody else who went to the free throw line went there twice. Another thing that was very uncharacteristic is that the Nets just didn't hit anything. They hit no threes. They were five of 27 from downtown. I, I don't foresee that happening multiple times in a playoff series. I mean, you have Joe Harris not making a single three over four. That's really, I'm not so sure about that. Same goes for KD, one of four. I don't see Kevin Durant ever having like back-to-back games where he's missing threes. And even if that is the case, if it gets to the playoffs and he's fully healthy, he can go one of four from three. And then still, like he went seven of 13 from the floor in 24 minutes. Like, if KD's playing heavy minutes, 32, 33, 34 minutes with this type of of efficiency, he's finishing with 30 consistently. And then you add in Kyrie Irving, who, 6 of 11, 18 points before his ridiculous ejection. That's another thing. And then, of course, when James Harden comes back, the offense looks radically different. Another thing that was really surprising was Landry Shamit was 1 of 4 from downtown. I mean, you know, I got on. Shamit's case early in the season, you know, he was just playing like shit. And to his credit, he's bounced back. And over the last couple of months, this dude has been one of the Nets' most consistent three-point threats. I mean, just it was a mixture of the Nets doing a lot of things bad, the Lakers doing a lot of things that were good, and just a little bit of luck. Good luck for the Lakers, obviously. Bad luck for the Nets. But that's kind of just... The nature of sports, sometimes you get beat because the other team is better than you. Sometimes you get beat because the other team is luckier than you. And sometimes it's just a combination of both. And I, I'm i not really upset about that. You know, you just kind of take your losses and you go with it. Because one thing that I've always, and I've, I don't want to say always, but at least as I've grown up and my brain has become, you know, slightly less smooth what I've realized is that every champion in every sport benefits from elite talent, elite coaching, and a little bit of good luck, right? This, this is just how it is. I could take you to any championship event and show you, well, maybe not any because I don't, let's go, let's go to this past Super Bowl, right? The, uh, not the Patriots. Who the fuck does Tom Brady play for now? The Buccaneers. The Buccaneers beat the Chiefs, right? I don't know how likely that outcome was. I think uh, the Chiefs might have been like a three-point favorite. So, you know, the Buccaneers, obviously a very good team. You got Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Gronk, a fucking smothering defense, great coaching, and, of course, Tom Brady. Now, the Chiefs have as many weapons as the Buccaneers do, and they have Patrick Mahomes, the best quarterback in the NFL right now. And yet the Chiefs get shit on, right? They did not play that well. But, you know, 
Todd Bowles, who I'm pretty sure is the defensive coordinator or the offensive coordinator, one of the coordinators for Tampa Bay, they overall got very lucky because Andy Reid went into halftime at the Super Bowl and made no adjustments to his game plan. And I can say this because I've watched videos on this subject by people who are a lot smarter than me, and that's what they said. So I'm just I'm simply going to regurgitate that information because I believe it to be true. If it's not, somebody correct me. But I think it was this guy, uh, Brett Coleman. Not, I think uh, I'm so sorry I'm forgetting your name, dude. But uh, he's like this YouTube football analyst, and he pretty much said that you know, in terms of coaching, the Chiefs just got outclassed, and some of it it was Andy Reid's reluctance to make changes. The same goes back to when the Cavaliers beat the uh, the Warriors in 2016. You know, Cavaliers got some fucking ridiculous performances from LeBron and Kyrie. I'm not going to take that away from them. But again, Steve Kerr's unwillingness to adjust his game plan was a stroke of luck in the Cavaliers' favor. The same thing happened to Mike Budenholzer and the Bucks. Was it last year, two years ago, or probably every year? that Mike Budenholzer has gone to the playoffs where his teams just failed to adjust. Oh, this was, this was, um, was this when they played the Heat this past or last postseason? Again, every time Mike Budenholzer has gone to the playoffs, his teams just fucking stink it up for whatever reason. They just, like, I, for whatever reason, he just does not make adjustments. I, I don't understand that. At any rate, the Nets were a little unlucky. They were a lot of bad. I'm not trying to say that the Nets didn't deserve to lose this game because they 100% did. But, 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 this, that ejection was really not the kind of thing you want to see on a Saturday night primetime game. Like, it was just so, oh God, it was just so unnecessary, dude. I don't understand how, and it progressed so fucking fast. It was like one second, you know, Mike Breen's like, oh, you know, Kyrie Irving, Dennis Schroeder are having a couple words. And then seven seconds later, Zach Zarba or whoever the crew chief was goes ahead and just banishes those two to the shadow realm. It's like, go ahead, get the fuck off the court. Like, for what, though? For what? Again, I un- I'd understand it if they were fighting or it was like what happened the other day when fucking OG Ananobi <laughs> suplexed Dennis Shooter. I think it was. He fucking deadlifted him and slammed him onto the ground. Like, if that were the case, I'd understand. And then, you know, Manchester Howard comes over and, you know, goes to pull out. OG Ananobi's throat. That's a different, that's a different, that's a whole different thing. But these guys are just talking. Like they were having a heated discussion. And the referees are like, no, we can't have this. I just, it was just like, you know, it's like when you get it, like when you're a kid and you're filling water balloons and you pick it up out of the bucket and the shit just pops in your hand. That's what, that's what I felt like. I was that water balloon. Just, I don't know, dude. But, again, you know, it sucks. And the Nets were supposed to play 
last night. Um, that did not happen because of, you know, I don't want to say the events that transpired in Minnesota because that's what uh, I think that's what the NBA have said when talking about the postponement of Timberwolves Nets because of the killing of uh, Dante Wright. I was, actually, let me make sure that was his name. God, that'd be so fucking embarrassing. I'd be I'd feel so bad. It's yeah. So Dante Wright was um tragically killed by the Minnesota Police Department, and it wasn't just the NBA that decided to postpone these games. Uh, the Minnesota Twins, Timberwolves, and the Minnesota Wild, the um, NHL team, all decided that playing their contest that evening were, would not be the best course of action, and they're all looking to postpone those games until a later time. I believe um, Nets-Wolves might be played on Tuesday night. That was um, a potential, just like a potential scheduling change. Either way, there was a whole lot of hubbub about that because Kyrie Irving was yet again taking another personal day. And folks just, they took it and they ran with it. Meanwhile, like, I'm not really surprised Kyrie Irving didn't want to play after knowing what went down. Like, I didn't know about the shooting until yesterday. Like, I hadn't really been on my phone uh, the previous two days. And I was like, damn, dude, that fucking sucks. So, again, my condolences to the right family i hope justice is served but like after hearing that it i wasn't you know too surprised that Kyrie was like hey i'm not gonna play and i think um carl towns was also missing the game due to personal reasons um i didn't see anyone talking about that i just think that if you want to shit on Kyrie irving for taking a personal day you should at least afford it, you know, just be, just have it go both ways. I don't know. I guess I'm being a crybaby about it, but whatever. Well, boo-hoo, my team is so good. They lost to the Lakers. Whatever, man. I'll see y'all in July at the championship parade. Um, I want to talk about some positive stuff. I don't want to really dwell on the fact that my Nets lost to an inferior team again because, like, it just happens. So consistently. But anyway, congratulations to the Lakers. They played a fantastic game. I don't want to take that away from them. I really don't want to downplay their performance. That's that's the overall thing here. I want to air my grievances and still give credit where credit is due. You know, the Lakers played a good game. The Nets played a worse game. Although I do feel that the ejection shifted momentum, I will not back down from that take. That doesn't diminish the fact that the Lakers outplayed the Brooklyn Nets for 75% of the game. So with that, I look forward to seeing this matchup again in June in the NBA Finals. Um, I just hope that, again, we don't get upset by the Chicago Bulls in the first round because that would just be the fucking icing on the cake. Now, what happened yesterday? Well, um, just looking at my trending page, Macaulay Culkin and Brenda Song welcomed their first child, but... Steph Curry became the Warriors' all-time leading scorer. Let's go ahead, clap him up. Congratulations to Steph Curry. Just another, just another accolade in what has been a fucking incredible career for this young man. And you know, I was just thinking about like, where does Steph Curry rank all time? I was talking to a homie of mine the other day, and he was telling me. Now this this friend of mine does not really 
follow the NBA that in, that intensely, that closely. Not, nothing like I do, by the way. Um, wait, what the fuck is this? Japan announces plans to release treated water from Fukushima nuclear plant into the ocean. Um, this does not seem like a good idea. Dude, who the fuck wakes up one day and is just like, see all that nuclear waste? Let's put it into the fucking ocean. And what's even crazier is that folks are like, oh, that's a good idea. Why didn't why we ever think about that? Bro, what the fuck is going on? Uh, dude, I... Like, Japan plans to release over 1 million tons of contaminated water into the sea. Its government pledges to make water safe using a several years long process, despite likely concerns from nearby countries and environmentalists. Dude, again, who the fuck wakes up one day and is just like, you see all that? Dump that shit into the ocean. Japan says it will really... Okay, I just read that. Um... Tokyo Electric Power, which operates the plant, will handle the process. I'm reading from aljazeera.com, by the way. Quote, on the premise of strict compliance with regulatory standards that have been established, we select oceanic release, the government said in a statement. So the government, I don't know, was like the prime minister of Japan or like the head of environmentalism was just like, hey, see all that? Put it in the fucking ocean. Fuck the fish. Fuck the whales. Fuck the seals. Fuck all that shit. Put it in there. The water equivalent, equivalent to about 500 Olympic-sized swimming pools has been treated, but needs to be filtered again to remove harmful isotopes. It will also be diluted to meet international standards before any release into the ocean. Releasing the treated water is an unavoidable task to decommission the Fukushima nuclear power plant and reconstruct that area. Prime Minister... I'm not even going to try to pronounce that. Prime Minister Suga? Set of the process, I apologize if I'm mispronouncing your name because I'm almost 100% mispronouncing it. In a statement, China's, China, bro, you know you fucked up if China is being the voice of reason. In a statement, China's foreign ministry called the move, quote, extremely irresponsible and said it reserved the right to take further action. That is the fucking greatest plot twist of all time. South Korea also said it was, quote, totally unacceptable, yada, yada. Um, like, again, why? Why? I, these other contaminants are all of greater health risk than tritium and, accum and accumulate more readily in seafood and seafloor sediments. Right. So that's another thing. Everyone's always like, bro, don't eat a lot of fish because fish have mercury in them, you know, lots of toxic chemicals. And now apparently the Japanese government is going to make fucking mutant fish. Like some shit that would be on Kong Skull Island, where they're like fucking, I don't know, 37 feet long, and the only way to defeat them is to trick a gorilla that is as tall as a skyscraper into killing all of them. And then, like, I under, I'm sure there are some very smart people working in the Japanese government and working in this power plant, but I just don't understand, like, is this the best course of action? And is this, like, commonplace, too? 
like I I got really sidetracked by this. My ADHD fucking kicked in like super hard just now. I saw nuclear waste, boom, fucking click that shit. Like I just I really want to know more about this. I might have maybe I'll maybe I'll do a little little bit of research because this just seems like fucking stupid. But then again, I don't know how smart like collective governments are. I know the United States government can be pretty fucking incompetent at times. I can only imagine that other states, not other states, other countries deal with the same thing because the grass is always greener from the other side, but a lot of the times it isn't. So that was interesting. All right, let's get back to, um, let's get back to Steph Curry. Now, we were talking the other day, just talking about like, you know, I was trying to educate him on some of the greatest, you know, basketball players of all time. And he's like, I saw this list where they Chris Paul was ranked as the ninth best point guard of all time. I'm like, what? Chris Paul was ranked what? The ninth greatest point guard of all time? Behind Russell Westbrook? Behind literally fucking five people whom he shouldn't be behind? I was like, dude, listen. Chris Paul is like top three all time. And then I sat back and thought about it, and I was like, you know what? Maybe he's not. He's definitely top five. But, like, Steph Curry, this dude's career is maybe 60% of the way done. And I think he's accomplished the majority of what he's going to accomplish. Won a bunch of titles, a couple MVPs, perennial all-star, all-NBA candidate, already the greatest shooter that the league has ever seen. Uh, Nobody, I don't care, how fucking old you are and how stuck in your beliefs you are, there is no way that you can look at how Steph Curry plays and not say that this man is the greatest three-point shooter of all time. Reggie Miller, shout out to him. Great player. Arguably the greatest shooter of all time. Same goes for Ray Allen. But... These guys were not doing triple behind the backs, scissor crossovers, bang, bang, step back, falling onto the bench and splashing home threes that barely touched the net on their way down. They just weren't doing it. Steph Curry is the definition of built different when it comes to shooting. And the crazy part is he's more than just a shooter. This dude is can easily put up 30 get, you know, 10 points from the line, get 12 points on twos, get 12 more points on threes. That's 34 points, but you know what I mean? He's shown it time and time again. Steph Curry is not a scrub. And you want to know what? I'm just going to pull up his stats just for shits and giggles. I mean, this dude became the Warriors' all-time leading scorer last night. In the four, in the first quarter, this dude had 19 no, I think it was more than that. It was at least 19 in the first. Now, after that, I shut the game off and I went to bed. And he finished with 53. 10 threes. 10 made threes. Just What was I just talking about? 10 threes on 18 attempts. 15 free throws. He only made four twos, but you want to know what? When you're fucking shooting like that, it doesn't matter. I mean, his last... Let's look at his last five games. My computer's being real fucking slow right now. His last five games, he's averaging 40 points. On 56% shooting from the field and 46 from three. You know, I said it before the season. And I, you want to know what? Fuck it. Steph Curry 
if the Warriors were better this year, he was my pick to win MVP. And that case, if the Warriors were not as bad as they were, would easily still be a thing. And I'm sure that there are going to be people who try to give Steph Curry or who try to make the argument that Steph Curry deserves to be the MVP because the Warriors right now, after beating the Denver Nuggets, after beating Nikola Jokic, who is, in as far as most people see it, the MVP frontrunner, they beat the Denver Nuggets last night. Steph Curry goes for 53. Clearly outplayed Nikola Jokic, right? Got the win. Got all that. He's averaging 30, 30 points, five and a half rebounds, damn near six assists with immaculate shooting percentages. And the Warriors are only 26 and 28. Imagine what they would be if he didn't play as effectively. If we're going to use some advanced metrics to try to figure this out, Basketball Reference estimates that Steph has contributed to six and a half wins this season. That's the amount of win shares that he has. A decent amount coming on the defensive end as well, which I found particularly interesting. But let's round it up to seven. So, well, the Warriors would be, was that 19 and 35 if Steph Curry wasn't playing. Of course, take that with a grain of salt because that's not actually how that works. They'd probably be a lot worse. If we're, we're going to keep it a buck here, probably would be a lot worse. So in that sense, you want to know what? Yeah, maybe Steph Curry decides to get, or maybe someone decides to, you know, say that Curry is the MVP. I'm not seeing it, though. And of course, you know, it would be a lot different if there weren't like 18 other guys contending for the award. As I talked about last week, you got fucking Jokic, you got Embiid, you got Giannis, you got James Harden. You got Damian Lillard. You got Nikola Jokic. You got Chris Paul and Devin Booker. You got Donovan Mitchell. You got fucking, I don't know, Julius Randle. Like, you got all these dudes. I threw Julius Randle in there as a meme. I don't actually think he's going to get any votes. But you want to know what? The Knicks are playing kind of well. The Knicks beat the Lakers, who beat the Nets, who were, at one point, the best team in the league. So. All I'm going to say is that, you know, the Knicks might be the best team in the NBA. That's kind of just how it goes. I don't make the rules. I just follow them. But Steph Curry statistically is definitely in the conversation, but it's not all about the numbers, right? And what the fuck are these birds doing? They're fucking fighting in my backyard. There are three birds fighting in the backyard. What the fuck? Damn, they must be pissed that we cut down all the trees. Holy shit. That's fascinating. Anyway, what the fuck was I talking about? Oh, yeah. So, Steph Curry. Past Wilt Chamberlain. Right? Wilt Chamberlain. Dude, if you pass Wilt Chamberlain in any regard, you're the fuck, dude, you're the fucking man. You are the fucking man. Now, what's crazy to me is that Wilt scored 17,783 points with the Warriors, right? <laughs> he did that 
in six seasons. This man scored. I'm crying. This is so fucking funny. <laughs> he scored. <coughs> oh my god. I'm gonna pass out. This is fucking ridiculous. Put into perspective, Wilt averaged like. <laughs> what the fuck? Hold on. Let me do the math here. That's not the fucking calculator. That's a VPN, you jackass. Oh, okay. So let's pull up the math real fast. Just to make it easy, let's do 17,700 divided by six. This man averaged 3,000 points a season for six seasons. Bro, Wilt is not real. I, do not try to convince me that Wilt Chamberlain was a real fucking human being. Because he was not. He was an alien. He was made in a fucking laboratory. If I could go back in time, I would go to the early 60s to watch Wilt Chamberlain, Chamberlain play and to just see how fucking flabbergasted everybody else is watching this man fucking dominate them. Could you imagine being literally anybody in the NBA back in the 60s, except for Bill Russell or Oscar Robertson or Elgin Baylor, but like, imagine being like an average NBA player back in the 60s. You're like, you know, 6'5", but you're playing center because that's just how things were back then. That thing froze. Sick. Uh? What happened? Uh? Okay. Are we good? What's going on here? Wow, that was fucking scary. Holy shit. Okay, so the program's back online. Anyway, imagine that you're like 6'5". Your name is fucking Dale... Dale Smith or whoever, like whatever the fuck kind of names they had back in the 60s. And your coach is like, you got to guard that guy. And you're like, that fucking alien? That fucking dude from Jupiter? I have to guard him? Bro, he's seven feet tall. Ripped. Super athletic. And just a fucking tree trunk and I have to guard him and your coach is like yeah and then you guard him the entire game and he only scores 40 points and your coach is like he did a good job you're like coach what do you mean yeah I did a good job he scored 40 he's like yeah but it's below his season average so he did a pretty good fucking job I just as incredible as it is that Steph is now the Warriors all-time leading scorer I'm not sure I will ever get over the fact that Wilt scored 17,000, almost 18,000 points in just six seasons. Like, that kind of just... That kind of just fucked my day up. Because I'll know I'll never be, like, that good at anything. That's just so fucking crazy. But anyway, shout out to Steph. I mean, just overall, a great career. Oh, and before I got fucking sidetracked by, um... The, uh... I don't know if it was the nuclear waste of the birds, but... We're talking about, like... Steph Curry being probably the second best point guard of all time, obviously ahead of Chris Paul. I, and I was just having this conversation and it totally slipped my fucking mind. I mean, when you look at Steph's body of work, like he's right on like that. He's in that nine to 12 spot for the greatest players of all time. It's like him, Kobe, Shaq, Hakeem, like that, 
the way I look at it is like you have the five, like the five goats who are in the S tier, being LeBron, Jordan, Magic, Kareem, and uh, Bill Russell, right? Those are like the five. If you ask really anybody, those are probably going to be their five greatest players of all time. You may have a little outlier every now and then where someone throws in Shaq or Wilt or Kobe, but for the most part, I think that's a pretty solid five. Now that's second tier underneath. You got Larry Bird. Got to throw Larry Bird in there. Respect Larry Legend. Wilt is another one. Just like, you know, statistical dominance. Shaq also. And then Hakeem Olajuwon. That, those are like the four guys who, at least to me, belong in like that the lesser tier. And then you got a whole bunch of guys fighting for that final spot. It's like you got Kobe in there. You got David Robinson in there. You got Steph in there. You got Jerry West. I mean, Julia Serving. Fucking... Elgin Baylor, Scottie Pippen, all these great guys, Charles Barkley, Allen Iverson. Like, you see what I mean? But Steph, Steph is different because Steph has been, you know, obviously fantastic player. Puts up incredible numbers. His numbers would have been better if he didn't struggle with injuries to begin his career. But, you know, that's kind of just, that's kind of just very unlucky. Um, Again, great scorer, great playmaker. Shows up in big games time and time again. Has the accolades. But the one thing that he's done is he changed the face of basketball. He changed the ethos of the NBA. He is probably the single most revolutionary player in the history of the NBA. Like, that's a lot to take in, right? You know, you're talking about him having more of an impact than guys like Jordan or LeBron. But what really what really separates Steph from those two is that you see guys like Jordan and LeBron, right? And you look at them, and they're just... They were put on this earth to be spectacular basketball players. Tall, super athletic, crazy agility, super competitive. Like, they are the genetic freaks of the NBA. It's like if you watch bodybuilding, you follow bodybuilding, and you watch the Olympia, you see guys like, you know, Chris Bumstead, Breon Ainsley, people like that, like the 1% of the 1%, they are like the LeBron James and Michael Jordan of bodybuilding. It's like no one, nobody ever will ever come close to them. I mean, if their children can't come close to them, and obviously the jury is still out on uh, the James gang, but if their children can't even come close to them, nobody else is going to come close to them. Steph, oh, and what that means is that it's already more unlikely that you're going to reach their level of proficiency. So you kind of, like, don't really model your game after them as much. Like, you take a little bit of them. For, take a little bit from them, obviously. Like, Michael Jordan, you can, you know, his triple threat stuff, his just being able to work one-on-one. -on -one. But, again, a lot of that stuff comes from him being just so much more explosive and so much just faster and overall just a superior athlete to everybody. That doesn't take away from his skill because the skill set and the athleticism have a symbiotic relationship. One needs the other. Like, you can be crazy athletic and still be garbage, like, or you can be, you know, super skilled 
and not be that crazy of an athlete. When you look at Steph and you see this undersized dude, like he's still a big guy, but in terms of just like the NBA, he's 6'2", 6'3", 180 pounds, really not that athletic. I think he's only dunked like three times in his career. That it's probably around there. Oh, you know, but you get the you get the gist. It's this is all hyperbole. But you know, kids can look at Steph and be like, oh, okay, you know, I'm kind of small. I'm not really that athletic, but you know what? I'm crafty. And what's the one thing that is easily well, I don't want to say easily accessible, but the one thing that everybody can become good at if they practice, shooting and ball handling. And that's where Steph really shines is as a shooter and as a ball handler. Of course. You know, just he is. I'm not gonna say that there is gonna be another Steph Curry, but his game is more easily imitatable, if that's a word. I'm pretty sure it is. But like that, being able to replicate someone's skill set is they'll be able to inspire so many more kids. And I'm not saying that LeBron or Kobe or Jordan aren't an inspiration, but everybody knows that you're really not gonna be able to replicate their game. But Steph, Steph, just because so much of what he does is based on something that, you know, you can improve on if you put the time in. That is just it gives people a little bit more hope. With LeBron, Steph, with LeBron, Jordan, you can't teach that kind of athleticism. You can't teach that kind of competitive psychopathic drive. With LeBron, you can't teach that sixth sense he has as a passer. But Steph, you know, kids watch him dribble, watch him shoot, just watch him be a very crafty player. Like, he has, like, again, I'll say it again, he has impacted the NBA single-handedly. More, he has impacted the NBA more than any other player in the history of the league. Like, his, the ripple, the Steph effect has reverberated amongst professionals, right? There are point guards who try to mimic his game because their teams will likely be better off i mean the whole pace and space thing it starts with steph curry right and taking all that into consideration you have you have to think about steph as one of the all-time greats i mean it's another reason why alan iverson despite not being the um the most you know statistically impressive in terms of like his overall efficiency and stuff like that i mean his impact on the game at least like culturally he is an icon alan iverson is a fucking icon and that's why he's revered and rightly so he was just different like him and steph are at least in my eyes the two most revolutionary players in the game that like across the history of the NBA. And maybe that's just me being a product of this generation and, you know, having grown up and watched guys like this. But, you know, I do a fair amount of, you know, research on the NBA. I know that guys like Elgin Baylor and uh, what the fuck are they? Elgin Baylor and Dr. J, they, for example, are two additional revolutionary players in the, in the sense that they were really two of the first guys to ever play above the rim consistently like Elgin Baylor Julius Irving their acrobatics the same goes with Kareem I mean 
well, they had to fuck. They changed the rules because, you know, Kareem and Wilt were so dominant. So that also has to account for something. But again, like the normal everyday kid is not going to watch Dr. J highlights and be like, okay, I can do that. Because guess what? You can't. You cannot do that. But when you watch somebody like Steph or AI, you can be like, oh, you know, yeah, I, I, I could do that. I don't see, I don't see why not. I mean, obviously, you're probably not, you're not going to be able to do it as efficiently as them, but it's just, it's just different. It's just different, man. Like, Steph, his, like, he is really probably the most unexpectedly great player or one of the most unexpectedly great players the NBA has ever seen. He's like right up there with fucking Larry Bird. I mean, folks would look at Larry Bird. I mean, look at this dude, a fucking unathletic 6'8 white dude from Indiana and he was just the fucking nastiest bro everyone knows Larry Bird was nasty but I don't know how many people expected Larry Bird to be like Larry Bird like it's crazy when you go and you like put all these parameters for forwards into um the basketball references play index or I guess they're stat head now but you put in all these parameters and it's always like Larry Bird and LeBron James like how many forwards have averaged 25, seven and seven while shooting 38% from three. And it's just Larry Bird and LeBron James just every single time. And you're like, damn, Larry Bird really was that dude. And it's crazy because <laughs> Larry Bird was arguably the baddest motherfucker in the league. And then Jordan comes around and he's like, yeah, that dude's badder than me. That dude is bad as fuck. I, he called him God. He called him God. He called Michael Jordan God. Like, again, that's just fucking crazy. And I know Steph would never, like, come out and say that he's the best player in the league. But, you know, there were times. I mean, he still is. He's, listen, bro. He's still one of the best players in the league. Even though he's really not talked about like that. This dude, he's not going nowhere. And... You know, a couple years ago when Steph was at his peak, like, he's still putting up those kinds of numbers. Like, that season he had in, what was it, 2015-16? People were calling it one of the greatest offensive seasons ever. Like, if you peep his numbers, he's still doing that. He's still doing that. Like, five years later. It's just fucking crazy. Um... Yeah, damn. I forgot what the fuck else I wanted to talk about. I didn't even really expect to talk about Steph Curry for that long. Nor did I expect to talk about that fucking shit going on with um the Japanese power plant. Like, really, I just wanted to fucking kind of air my grievances with what happened on Saturday. But, I mean, I got that out of the way for sure. And, you know, overall, just I think that pretty much... I think that pretty much does it. We're coming up on about an hour. As always, thank you guys so much for tuning in. If this was your first time, welcome. If you are a returning listener, welcome back. Everything I do, everything I'm associated with, all of the ways to support the podcast are down in the description below. And as always, I greatly appreciate it. Thank you guys for your continued support, and I'll catch y'all in the next one.